There may not be an actual Pro Bowl game this year, but the Seahawks are still well represented with fan voting concluding on Monday. Which players look poised to participate in the Pro Bowl games and which ones should be going that maybe aren't in consideration? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating on our latest Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me for our Tuesday episode, my host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And a special welcome, of course, to our new listeners as well. Hope you enjoy the show and will become a regular listener. We've got a loaded Tuesday episode coming your way. Pro Bowl balloting, at least from the fan perspective, concluding yesterday. How did the Seahawks fare? Which ones look poised to be involved in the first Pro Bowl games in February? Plus, we'll be dishing out some takes for Tell the Truth Tuesday and taking a first look at the Kansas City Chiefs, Seattle's upcoming opponent, in week 16. This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise? Then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code LOCKED ON, all caps, in the game. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Pro Bowl is just around the corner. It's not going to be the same as it's been the last 30, 40, 50 years where there's actually going to be a tackle football game. Really, it's been a long long time since there was a real tackle football game, hence why the Pro Bowl, as we know it, is not going to be around this year. But they're still voting. There's still going to be a Pro Bowl All-Star showcase with plenty of contests, pitting the best of the best against one another. There's going to be a flag football game as well and Rob the Seahawks are pretty well represented coming out of the fan voting which concluded yesterday Tariq Woolen and Jason Myers number one in their respective positions in the NFC Quandre Diggs Jordan Brooks Geno Smith and Nick Ballore finishing second at their respective positions so even though Seattle has had a bit of a free fall as of late a lot of players getting recognition as potential pro bowlers with coaches as well as other players still to weigh in with their votes and the final rosters being released on Wednesday. Yeah, I think that it's a really cool acknowledgement um, of the fans. It just shows how, uh, you know, in tune that they are um, because you're talking about a veteran, of course, and Jason Myers who has rebounded from last year's poor season to just lead all of the NFL in field goal percentage. Um, he's only missed one field goal all season. And that was way back in week four against Detroit. I think it was October 2nd. So we're talking about two and a half months ago. Um, you know, and Jason Myers made absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, the rookie, Tariq Woolen, who has been one of the biggest stories in all of the NFL. But again, there's a lot of fans out there outside the Pacific Northwest who apparently are paying attention to just how dynamic Tariq Woolen has been. He's also is, you know, tied with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, for the NFL lead in interceptions. Uh, I think that he should be the runaway pick for Defensive Rookie of the Year with all due respect to Sauce Gardner and Aiden Hutchinson and some of the other fantastic rookies this season. So it's just exciting to see so many fans across the NFL spectrum 
recognizing that the truly spectacular seasons that Tariq Wollen and Jason Myers have had, and then as, as well as Geno Smith, especially. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which you really saw Geno Smith get the MVP or all pro kind of votes that perhaps his play at times this season has warranted. I mean, consider that you got guys like, you know, Jayla Hurts was going nuts, Dak Prescott, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins. I mean, there's just the list goes on and on. Um, but at the same time, Geno Smith leading all of the NFC in touchdown passes. Um, and, and of course, the completion percentage, the efficiency we've talked about all season long. I think it's he's very rightly uh, serving in that number two spot, at least right now, um, among NFC quarterbacks. Yeah, I'd be really surprised when we get done with the coaches and players voting if Geno Smith is not one of the Pro Bowl quarterbacks that's selected just because of the numbers you just mentioned. And I know the team has not been playing near as well here as of late losing four out of five games but I would not pin a lot of that on Geno Smith he still had some really big games that have ended up being losses and really Seattle would have got blown out if not for his presence under center especially with the lack of a run game and so I think Geno Smith Tariq Woolen, and Jason Myers they can all state claims to being more than deserving to be in the Pro Bowl Nick Bloor has been really good on special teams again I wouldn't have had any issue with him getting selected either he's got 11 tackles on special teams to lead the Seahawks continue to be one of the best specialists in the NFL. So no beefs about those. Jordan Brooks obviously has the tackle numbers, but hasn't made the impact plays. And I feel like his play has really leveled off in the second half of the season. He's had issues getting off of blocks. Now he's dealing with a neck injury. It sounds like he's going to be able to play this week, but I don't know if he deserved to be in the top two or three. And Quandre Diggs certainly has had a very uneven season. I wouldn't put him up there with the top four or five safeties, but right now he's number two in NFC voting. And some of that is name recognition being a pro bowler each of the last two years. Speaking of name recognition, I just got to get to this right now. The Seahawks are going to a couple be voted to this pro like our players that are snubs. And Uchenna Nuosu would be one that maybe I would list, but he did finish fifth among outside linebackers in the NFC. So he at least got some recognition. But there's a couple of big names that are missing that we haven't mentioned that have had really good seasons. Rob, I'm going to throw it over to you. Looking at the Seahawks roster this season, who is a player that has been omitted from this voting or didn't get a top five selection in the NFC that you think has been snubbed in this process? Well, I think the easy one is, is to mention is DK Metcalf. I mean, talk about uh, the fact that we are going to see a transition from the pro bowl to the, you know, pro games kind of a thing where we're going to see some true athletic testing. Uh, I mean, is there anybody in the NFL that you'd rather see, um, you know, do that type of testing than perhaps like some matchups between Tariq Woolen, presumably going to get voted uh, to the pro games. Um, and of course, DK Metcalf, his teammate. I mean, I think that would be fascinating to see them in the 40 yard dash or any other type of demonstration that it's not football it's just pure athletic ability measurable numbers kind of a thing I think that would be fascinating I think that DK Metcalf's uh, production this season his maturation I think that the fact that he has become a little bit more of a, a polished all-around wide receiver he's running a variety of more routes um, I love the fact that he has uh, you know saved some of his best performances against some of the best competition <laughs> It's like Jalen Ramsey or whoever the case might be. I mean, he's been spectacular. And so I think that he was a, frankly a shock to me that he is not among the top five wide receivers uh, voted at so far, at least in the NFC, according to uh, according to many who are reporting this on, on all over social media. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with a different receiver and not to knock on DK Metcalf because he's obviously had a very strong season. He has made a lot of improvements as a route runner and being more active in the short to intermediate passing game. But he's not even leading the Seahawks in receiving yards. That would be number 16, Tyler Lockett, who, by the way, just taking a little side note here, Pete Carroll gave a very positive update on him today. He had his hand surgery yesterday. Sounds like he's got a very good shot to get back after missing just one game. We'll see if that actually happens, but they're hoping he's going to be in the lineup against the Jets. But nonetheless, he's almost to 1,000 receiving yards for a fourth consecutive season. He'd become just the second player in franchise history joining Steve Largent as the only players to achieve that feat. Earlier this year, had six straight games, a franchise record with a receiving touchdown. And we get to see the consistency, the reliability from Tyler Lockett week in, week out. His savvy route running, his ability to be a ballet dancer along the sideline to somehow get his feet in bounds. The touchdown he had a couple weeks ago against the Carolina Panthers being the most recent example. He just week in, week out puts up big numbers. He is outstanding at knowing where the sticks are and moving the chains. He plays bigger than his size, and yet he still somehow, with all the numbers he puts up year in, year out, he is still somehow criminally underrated. I don't know how Tyler Lockett is not in the top five. I know there's a ton of receiving talent in the NFL, but there were so many question marks for Lockett and Metcalf going into the season. How good are they going to be without Russell Wilson? Well, statistically they've been pretty much on par with what they were with Russell Wilson, maybe slightly less receiving yards and touchdowns, but these two have still feasted with Geno Smith at quarterback. I think that's got to stand for something, especially for a player like Tyler Lockett. So I think you can make the argument just as you did with DK Metcalf, both of these receivers, I'm not sure why they don't get more love nationally. I, you know, part of it is there are so many other receivers in the league that are elite talents and it's a position that year in, year out, it seems like the draft is just loaded with players. You can think seven on seven and the way the game has changed. Everybody wants to be a wide receiver now, but I just don't know how Tyler Lockett of these two, especially can't get into that top five when year in, year out, he is one of the most productive players in the NFL. He's just been a beacon of consistency. He's a superstar and he doesn't get that treatment nationally. In Seattle, he certainly does, but not nationally. When we come back, we are going to dish out our Tell the Truth Tuesday takes. We're going to be looking at offense, defense, and special teams coming out of last week's loss to the 49ers and heading into the final three games of the 2022 season. We'll get to those here in a moment. I'm really geeked out about our new partner and sponsor of today's episode, the mobile game Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your own franchise, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Sharks and working on conducting a youth movement since I took over a team full of players in their early to mid-30s. I'm hoping to quickly rise back to contention beating out all the other locked-on hosts in our virtual league. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked-on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's all caps in the game store. That's LOCKEDON with all caps. So make sure to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app stores. That's ultimate-gm.com. 
Ultimate Football GM. Start your dynasty today. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want whenever you want it from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and soon in Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eyes on to see how it fits in your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you, and every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Ditch the boring rental car and find your drive at Turo.com. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, it's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We didn't get to do this last week because we had the abbreviated week, a game coming up on Thursday Time to dish out some hot takes, some last-minute takeaways from Thursday's loss to the 49ers, maybe some foreshadowing heading into the final three games of the season. As always, going to give you the mic first. What's the first thing on your mind here for Tell the Truth Tuesday? Well, Corbin, I think the first thing, when you go back and you watch the tape, um, you know, at times it was every bit as ugly as statistically and the the first time I, I viewed it. Uh, you know, but at, at the same time, I think that one of the takeaways that you can't, one of the positive takeaways you can't keep from that game is the fact that Seattle's run defense did actually play pretty well. And that was against a team that was looking to establish the run and protect the rookie quarterback. Obviously, the your upcoming opponent, Kansas City Chiefs, they've got an entirely different kind of type of a quarterback uh, that you have to worry about. But still, it was encouraging to me because one of the things that you said in yesterday's show that really struck me, I think made an awful lot of sense, is just the, the sense of panic that had to go through the Seahawks when Brian Monet went down, um, knowing that they didn't have Al Woods, knowing that they suddenly were going to have this huge gap at the nose guard position, the way that uh, Puna Ford um, and certainly Miles Adams, LJ Collier, um, Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson, the way that they kind of came together and sealed that made a much more uh, formidable front than I thought the Seattle was going to be able to, to offer. Um, in this game, uh, obviously the 49ers were able to get the big run at the very end of the game to seal it. But up until that point, Seattle done a really nice job in, in slowing down the running game. I don't. I yesterday I kind of mentioned the possibility. I thought that Seattle might look for other defensive linemen out there in the market. Um, you know, at the same time, considering who they're facing this next week again with Mahomes, and you know they're going to want to throw the football. I think it does make sense just to kind of stick with what you got with Miles Adams uh, and be able to offer a little bit more pass rush on the inside. Because, again, clearly Seattle did show the ability to kind of bow up when they needed to. I'll certainly dish out some positives during the segment, but I'm not going to start off with that. And when you lose four times in five games, typically there's going to be a lot more negatives. And the thing that has really jumped out to me, when we have watched this Seahawks offense struggle to be able to run the football, a lot of that has been on the offensive line, but also – 
I feel like we are starting to see that there is a gap at the running back position. Travis Homer is a fantastic special teams player. He scored a touchdown against the Raiders. He can do some things on offense, but he isn't that third down back that I think the Seahawks absolutely need. So in my opinion, going into this offseason, adding a third down specialist in the backfield to go with Ken Walker III, if they end up bringing back Rashad Penny, who knows what's going to happen on that front. But Penny's not going to be your third down specialist. They need to find somebody that can upgrade that third down spot. Because I think in today's NFL, it is absolutely critical that you have that change of pace back that can do a lot of damage sliding out as a receiver, can catch the ball out of the backfield and make people miss, can block in pass protection. Homer's been great in that aspect, but he's been so inconsistent as a runner and as a receiver. And DJ Dallas, I think, is a solid player. He gets the most out of his talent, but he lacks the burst. And it's unfortunate. If he was a little bit faster, had a little bit more explosiveness to go with his hands out of the backfield, I think he would check off this box. I just don't know that he is that third down back that I think you have to have in today's game that has that explosiveness and can create as a receiver out of the backfield. And just look at the Chiefs even. They were able to revitalize Jarek McKinnon's career after all those injuries he had with the 49ers. That's the kind of player that I think the Seahawks need to add to the fold. They need somebody that's truly a weapon in the passing game and can also protect a little bit. You can move around. And while Travis Homer and DJ Dallas are solid NFL running backs, I just don't know that they are the third down back that the Seahawks need. And so I think that that is an area that is kind of a low-key area of concern for the Seahawks going into this offseason, especially with Homer heading to free agency and Rashad Penny going to free agency. Yeah, no question about it. I think their running back is actually a surprisingly high uh, position of, of concern for the Seahawks um, for all the reasons that you just gave. And I, I think that it was entirely appropriate as well just to kind of, uh, you know, mention Kansas City Chiefs and the way that they've able to, uh, you know, Jerk McKinnon has revitalized his career, as you said. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco um, has been a heck of a find this year uh, as a rookie for them. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I mean, those are three backs that all of them have enough speed and certainly the hands out of the backfield to be very effective in exactly the type of role that you were just kind of commenting on, Corbin. Uh, I, to me, one of the things that is concerning um, is the, uh, you know, and it kind of ties in with exactly what we're talking about here is just the struggles with Seattle's offensive line to be able to create holes for their running game. And San Francisco was able to do that uh, at Lumen Field. I, I, I have huge concerns about what, how effective Seattle is going to be able to, to get any kind of movement on the road at Arrowhead. Um, you know, I, I look at the San Francisco 49ers, and of course, they are led by Nick Bosa, but Eric Armstead was spectacular. Um, right. Samson Ibukam mm -hmm. was, was very effective as well. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs, and, you know, I mean, Frank Clark is a terrific fo a football player. George Karloftis, the rookie, another really good football player. But it all starts with Chris Jones in the middle. Um, I mean, this guy is an absolute monster. And so for the exact same reasons why I think that San Francisco just was just too big, too nasty, too powerful at the point of attack. Unfortunately, I see very similar types of things to be concerned about the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend as well. I actually think that this may be the biggest problem the Seahawks have to deal with. And obviously Patrick Mahomes is always a problem, and he is a top MVP candidate, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But you can make an argument that the Chiefs have a more talented all-around defensive line. 
than what the 49ers do. Obviously, Armstead and Bosa are monsters, but you mentioned Chris Jones, Carl Loftus. They have Carlos Dunlap, who Seahawks fans know yeah. well, and he's made some nice contributions this year. Frank Clark is still a very solid edge rusher. So maybe the 49ers have the more elite talent. Nick Bosa, arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL. Armstead is one of the best interior rushers in the league. But Kansas City's got a bunch of horses up front. And so I think that is going to potentially cause a problem for the Seahawks. I want to switch gears to the Seahawks on defense a little bit because we talked about this some yesterday. They're kind of in the crosshairs here. You're seven and seven. You're still playing for the playoffs. That's not going to change. Pete Carroll wants to win football games. He wants to advance to the postseason. But you're also a rebuilding team. You've got some injuries. You've lost four out of five. And you've got some players at some key positions who may not be back next season. And one of those is Cody Barton. And I've talked about it some earlier this year. I think Cody Barton has improved a lot as the season has progressed. I think he's playing better football. I thought he played better the other night than a lot of fans are willing to admit. I actually thought Jordan Brooks was the linebacker that struggled more in that game against San Francisco. But Barton's a free agent this offseason. If you don't think that he is going to be a starter beyond this year, you don't think you're going to re-sign him, I think that you are now in the crosshairs where you got to start seeing if other guys that are going to be under contract next year can play some snaps for you. Make it a little bit of an audition. I'm not saying start John Radigan or Tanner Muse, but give them some snap defense these to see where they fit in. I'm especially intrigued by Radigan because we saw what he did his last year at Army. This guy was a tackling machine. He's got enough size. He's very heady player. He's got great instincts. He's physical. I actually think he might be a better fit for this 3-4 defense than what Cody Barton is. But we don't know until we get to see him on the field. And since he missed the preseason with his ACL injury, we didn't get a chance to see what he would look like. And Tanner Muse, I thought, played really well the end of the fourth quarter, subbing in for Jordan Brooks. So why not see these two players that are going to be under contract next year or the next two years and see what you have there? It could be play into your decisions come draft time as well when and how early you decide to pick a linebacker. Yeah, I, I just in just in general am very much a fan of, of that idea at this point in the season, Corbin, uh, just to see, especially in the case of Radigan and how impressed I was with how spry he looked, um, you know, against San Francisco this past week. I, I was very impressed by him. He looked slimmer and quicker than I'd ever seen him. Um, and so that is very encouraging considering the fact that he's coming off, of course, the major leg leg uh, surgery. So to me, that is somebody that I can definitely get behind trying to see some extra playing time. I, I Again, I go back to the offensive line. I, I just don't know what you're getting out of Gabe Jackson over Phil Haynes at this point. Um, you know, I, I understand that the, he's a veteran and I certainly understand, you know, the, the matchup that you are now facing as we just talked about with Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead with a, a terrific defensive line. And I would agree with you. I think that they are a more complete team than the 49ers. The Chiefs are the team I picked to win the Super Bowl and I've seen no reason to suggest that they're not going to do exactly that. Um, you know, so I... Um, I just think that this is a really difficult team. But at the same time, if you are going to go with that youth movement, then I, I think that uh, it would make some sense along the offensive line as, as well. Finally, from my last kind of takeaway, though, I, I think that if you are going to have that, that conversation already about what you're doing in 2023, then I, I think you have to really look at, you know, who on your team actually fits 
in with this kind of a 3-4 alignment. Now, it, we know that's not a traditional 3-4 alignment, but there are certain body types. And, and some of the, the, the players that Seattle has selected highest or paid the most just look like kind of square pegs and round holes. And, you know, you, you picked the perfect picture there. For those of you watching on YouTube, Corbin does a great job always on these types of things. And Jordan Brooks would be one of them. I mean, he is more of that classic 4-3 chase linebacker. Puna Ford, the player, as some have mentioned many times, is getting more money this year than anybody else. Um, you know, it is just basically not a great fit in the 3-4 alignment. He's got long arms considering his six-foot frame, if that, but still not as long arms as what you ideally would like to have in a, in a two-gapping type of a system. Daryl Taylor was expected to be a superstar, but clearly has not been. So I, I think that there has to be serious conversations about what Seattle should do. Is it easier for a coach like Pete Carroll and you know they this whole allotment of, of coaches that he's brought on the defensive side of the ball, some very talented coaches, but they're doing a system that really doesn't cater to either their own strengths and experience as coaches. It certainly doesn't fit in with a lot of their players as well. And that, that's been the biggest issue for why Seattle's defense has – stayed sunk for most of this season real quick i want to give some love to the coach that i think if i had to name a coach of the year on the seahawks staff you know a few weeks ago i probably would have said pete carroll but with them now being seven and seven i gotta go with the man that's had the unit that's been consistent all year and that is the dvoa number one ranked special teams unit that is coached by Larry Izzo, and he is doing a phenomenal job. I'm going to say this. This is my hot take for the day, and I don't think it's a hot take. Larry Izzo should be an under-the-radar head coaching candidate going into this next coaching carousel. Now, I don't know if Larry Izzo wants to be a head coach. I don't know that he's got the personality necessary to, necessarily to do that. I don't know if that's an aspiration for him. He seems like he's totally comfortable being a special teams coach. But just think about what this unit has done. And I want you to remember in August – I can go back and replay some of our podcasts. What was one of the biggest worries for the Seahawks coming out of those preseason games? Why is their special team so bad? And it was atrocious in those preseason games. And some of those same guys are still playing significant snaps on special teams. And yet you look across the board, this team is number one, according to DVOA, in kick coverage. They're in the top five in punt coverage. They're number two in net punt yards in part because Michael Dixon's so darn good at punting, but also because guys are flying downfield and they are limiting return men. They forced two fumbles in that win over the Giants that were crucial. And then Jason Myers, he's 26 for 27 on field goals. His numbers are already better than they were two years ago. He's six for six from 50 plus yards. So that season two years ago was fantastic. This one has been an elite season from Jason Myers. And oh, by the way, they're in the top seven as well in DVOA for kick return. And some of that has just been the last couple of weeks having Godwin Iguibuque in there that's brought a spark. But they were still in the top 10, top 12 before then for yards per return. And so give Larry Izzo a ton of credit and Tracy Smith, the assistant as well. They have done a fantastic job. And you're seeing young guys getting thrown in the lineup like Dariq Young and Joey Blunt, and they're coming in making impact plays. Travis Homer missed five games. They had a new long snapper. Carson Tinker has been fantastic. We haven't talked about it, so you know he's been good, replacing Tyler Ott. And so you consider all those variables. The Seahawks, for all the issues they've had the last five weeks, the special teams has been the one thing that has remained consistently good for them. 
And Izzo deserves all the credit in the world for that, mixing and matching players, coaching these guys up, developing young guys. And again, I think he should be on the radar as a head coaching candidate. I don't know if he wants it, but this is the third straight year they've been in the top five in DVOA for special teams overall. I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think he is a damn good football coach, and he's doing a really good job for Pete Carroll's staff. Coming up next, we're going to take our first look at the Kansas City Chiefs. We've actually talked a little bit about him already on this episode, but we're going to look at some of the additions, departures, and Rob's favorite time of the week, talking some draft picks. The Chiefs have some very good rookies that are on their roster this season. Looking forward to breaking that all down when we come back here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's week 16 of the 2022 season, and I've got Dak Prescott bouncing back with a pair of touchdowns in a high-scoring affair against the Eagles. That might not seem like a bold leap, but with Prize Picks, it's easy to play. Daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections in any sport that you watch, whether it's the NBA, MLB, NHL, even boxing. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com and sign up to play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to Tell the Truth Tuesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there who make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day available in the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. The Seahawks looking to get back on track in a must-win game at Arrowhead Stadium. And I'm just going to say this right now, Rob. I'm not going to be able to go to the game, but good. thank goodness for the reporters being in the press box because they're calling for negative six with wind chill at Arrowhead Stadium this weekend. It is going to be on par with that Vikings playoff game from about six or seven years ago. And I was at that game, and I was in the stands, and I can tell you that is a different kind of cold when you are dealing with those kind of elements Nonetheless, you're not just going to be dealing with the weather. You're going to be dealing with the AFC West champion, Kansas City Chiefs. They just clinched another division title. I believe their sixth consecutive AFC West championship. They've been as consistent as any team in the NFL under Andy Reid. Patrick Mahomes is a superstar. they got a tons of talent on the defensive side of the football. Playmakers everywhere for Mahomes. And it's crazy, Rob, because this team had so many big changes on the roster this offseason, including losing Tyreek Hill, trading into the Dolphins. A lot of people expected the Chiefs to take a big step back, and that has not been the case. No, it certainly has not been the case because, uh, as, as you're right, and obviously the Chiefs did trade away Tyreek Hill, they kept the best weapon, um, at least statistically, over the last seven, eight years in the NFL in Travis Kelsey. And, uh, you know, th that's the thing is as, as good of, of a player as Tyreek Hill is, nobody has been more reliable, showed a greater connection with the quarterback than Travis Kelsey. has just been absolutely unguardable at times. Um, and, of course, they've made some big additions as well, taking losing a dynamic speed threat and yet still trying to find it, it, it kind of 
changing their offense by getting the big physical slot receiver Juju Smith-Schuster from the Steelers. I thought was a big move. We uh, the, the speedster just uh, Mar- Marquez Valdez Scantling, um, and then of course as we talked about before with Carlos Dunlap. Again, those of you who are looking on the YouTube screen can can see him. There have been some huge additions to the to the Chiefs. There have also been some big uh, miss or some big departures. Um, Tyreek Hill, of course, being the biggest one. We just talked about Charvarius Ward from and what he's done for the San Francisco 49ers this season, Tyron Matthew as well. And then the defensive line, Melva Ingram and another former Seahawk, Jaron Reed, um, have all left. Um, but to me, Corbin, you, you mentioned this a moment ago, um, and it kind of, I think, probably tongue in cheek when you mentioned that, oh, this is Rob's favorite time to talk about the draft class. It is my favorite time when I talk about the Kansas City Chiefs draft class and the Seattle Seahawks draft classes. To me, Corbin, they were easily the two top. Pass, uh, pass draft classes in this past year's draft. Excuse me. Uh, absolutely spectacular. This is a team with the Chiefs that is getting stronger as the season goes. I know that they've played poorly, but a lot of their young players are playing significant minutes for them, and you're not seeing them kind of hit that rookie wall the way you're seeing some of the other first-year players do. Um, you are seeing them kind of pound through that wall. And so um, I, I'm really excited from a, just an evaluation standpoint to watch this game, albeit it may be the frigid uh, game that you described earlier. Yeah, I think if you're looking from a Chiefs standpoint, the one thing that they've really got going for them heading into this game, away from the fact that, you know, they've won 11 games, they've won the AFC West, they still have a chance to be the number one seed and get a bye in the conference. This is a pretty darn healthy team. They only have five players on injured reserve. And as far as notable players – Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the former first-round pick out of LSU, he's on IR. And McCole Hardman, the speedy receiver out of Georgia, is on IR. But it sounds like, based on what Andy Reid said today, that he has a very good chance to practice this week and be activated by the Chiefs. So the Seahawks are going to have to deal with their receiving core in full. And that's not something that the Chiefs have really had most of this season. There's always been one or two receivers banged up throughout the year. They have a chance to be at full strength in this game going against Seattle's defense. They're still going to have plenty of weapons in the backfield, even without Edwards Hilaire. So this is a very healthy team, particularly on the defensive side of the football. And they've been able to offset a lot of their departures. Now, obviously, Tyreek Hill, the players that they brought in are not going to replace him by themselves, but Smith Schuster and uh, Valdez Scantling have both made major contributions for this offense. They drafted Sky Moore in the second round, and he's done some decent things. Not a great statistical rookie season, but he's starting to come into his own a little bit. You're going to add Hardman to the mix there. This is just a very healthy football team that's got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. They're very well coached. So I think when you put all those ingredients into play, and we're talking week 16, when you're a healthy team and you've won a bunch of games, you're getting healthier. Uh, those are typically the teams going into the playoffs that scare you the most. And even though the Chiefs are coming off a game where they didn't play very well against the Houston Texans and they could have lost to the one-loss Texans in that game, they still found a way to get the victory, and that's the mark of a championship squad. You have to expect they're going to come out hungry, ready to play, because they still have plenty to play for with that number one seed within sight. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's that's why I think that this is a pretty formidable matchup for a lot of different reasons uh, for the Seahawks. But uh, again, I just got to kind of gush about this this draft class that, that Brett Veach and, and Andy Reid uh, brought in together. Again, we've talked a lot about Seattle's draft class and, um, you know, the Seahawks fans are going to be very familiar with a couple of these guys that the Chiefs brought. One of their very first picks, actually their very first pick, Trent McDuffie, of course, was a superstar, University of Washington. Um, they their second to excuse me, third to last pick uh, was um, Jalen Watson, the cornerback that we talked a lot about from Washington State and how well he fit yep. in with what Seattle is looking to possibly do. Both of them have been spectacular at times for the Chiefs. Jalen Watson has a pick six from the end zone, longest touchdown you'll ever see in the NFL field, uh, or in any field for that matter. Um, they've been spectacular. Karloftis doesn't have great statistics, but he started all 14 games as a rookie Corbin, and some of the plays that he does make just really show off his veteran ability. Um, you know, And then Pacheco has really been a spectacular find for them. In the seventh-round pick that is now – you know, arguably the most dynamic running and receiving threat on their squad. Um, you know, again, it's just really made Andy Reid's team that much more difficult to defend. And considering that they already have Mahomes, already have Kelsey, and then just brought in all of these other players that just kind of fit that make, uh, you know, two aces can, you know, be, be a winning hand if you have a couple of other cards that kind of just fall into your lap. And that's exactly what happened with the Kansas City Chiefs in the 2023-2022 draft class. It's one of those cases the rich get richer. You know, from the Seahawks' perspective, you traded Russell Wilson, you released Bobby Wagner, so you had a bunch of high draft picks in last year's draft. You were expected to bring in some game-changing players. Obviously, the Chiefs acquired a draft pick for Tyreek Hill in the first round, and they turned around and used that to go out and get McDuffie. And then they had Karloftis that they got in the first round as well. They had two first-round selections. But a team like this is already loaded with talent on both sides of the football. And then they go out and have a really good draft on top of it. It prolongs that window for them to continue winning, especially when you have a top three paid quarterback in the NFL like Patrick Mahomes. We know that that can be debilitating for the salary cap but if you were able to hit on draft picks with those cheap rookie salaries especially some of the late round picks that you mentioned that the Chiefs appear to have hit on and they did it last year as well uh, had several picks in day three that ended up becoming key contributors so this Chiefs front office they have done a fantastic job of building this team and so in an odd way you are going to see two teams they have two of the best rookie classes. They're at far different spots in terms of where the franchise at. The Chiefs are in that win-now mode, and yet they have a lot of really good rookie talent. The Seahawks, they're not to that point yet. They've been a surprise this year, winning more games than a lot of people thought they were going to, even with the recent struggles lately. But they're a team that they were in rebuild mode. They were looking to lean on rookies. The Chiefs, maybe not so much, but that has been the case. They have leaned a lot on their rookies. And again, that's just a case of the rich getting richer. And so it's going to be a very tough matchup for the Seahawks heading to Chile Arrowhead Stadium for Christmas Eve and a battle with the Chiefs. Speaking of matchups coming up tomorrow, as always, we'll have matchup Wednesday. We'll be looking at six key matchups, three for the Seahawks on offense, three for the Seahawks on defense heading into this critical road game at Arrowhead Stadium. I'm Corbin Smith. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to listen to Matchup Wednesday tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.